0: You are listening to New Life the 4th. We pray that this season, you take possession of every good gift God has prepared for you. Romans chapter 12. Say this with me, I am ready, I am am awake, I am am alert, alert. Ready ready to receive all the things that God has made ready for me today. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I'm going to read from the message paraphrase. If you're familiar with the, with the scripture, it talks about renewing your mind. But let's read it in a different manner. In the message Bible, it would say this. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Among you know that we need God's help all the time. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Who among you have everyday, ordinary lives? Okay, and then we'll see what you guys are, are uh, if you guys are included in this. Okay? You're sleeping. Yes, sleeping. Not in the church, but outside, yes? You're sleeping. You're eating. Everybody eats? Okay, alam it's almost lunchtime, but we'll be quick. Before three, we're done. You're eating. You're going to work eating, yeah, going to work, yeah. And walking around life and place it before God as an offering. So these things that are mundane, this ordinary, those almost routinary things of going to work, eating, waking up, sitting down, you know, going around everywhere, ordinary things, he's saying, all these things, you can offer it, you can give it as an offering before God. It doesn't have to be the big things, but all of it put together, you give it to God as an offering. And then embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. See, religion is focused on what I can do. I'm thinking about me, I'm focusing about me, I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to be this, trying to be good so that somehow I can make that as an offering and maybe somehow, hopefully, sana, it will be pleasing to Him. That's religion. But in our relationship in the, under the grace of God, it's what God uh, does for you, that, that's the best thing that we can do for Him. Let's continue reading. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture. Somebody say culture. That you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants for you and quickly respond to it. Say, quickly respond. In, in, the, in New Life, the Fort here, we, we encourage people to respond to the Word of God. You can either say, Amen, say, That's mine. However, you can respond. You know, this is just training. I'm already preaching here. Come on. This is just training that you get trained in responding here not because it's church, but because we're training you to respond. So when you get outside, it becomes instinctive in you to respond to what God is saying and what God is doing. But it needs to begin somewhere. Right? Ready to recognize what He wants for you from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you. Somebody say culture. Always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Father, we pray for what you have said here. This is what we're after. That you bring out the best out of us and develop this well-formed, steady, foundational maturity in us. That we're not shaken by circumstances. We're not moved by our emotions. We're not moved by what we see around us. But we are steady. We have a kingdom That is not shaken. And this is what we we pray. Help us to see and hear in our hearts. Ready to respond and believe what you have for us. In Jesus name. Amen and amen. Before you sit down, fist bump five people. Don't punch, just fist bump. There you go. Welcome to the first 21st century. Fist bump. This, is, this means, I love you, man. What's up? There you go. Back in the 80s, this means Wonder Twins Power Activate. Who among you saw that before? I recently saw it in YouTube. Now I remember that, right? Um... If you, when you went to Jesus Fest, there you go. For those of you who were not able to go, just raise your hand. <laughs> now, I just encourage you, you know, this is uh, this is something that uh, we're a big part of as New Life the 4th. But the theme for this year is actually cross-culture. And uh, um, the speakers of uh, Jesus Fest, they were... Speaking about that, because that was the theme and, uh, you know, they stitched together all these wonderful messages. But one of the reasons, uh, main reason why it became cross-culture, last year we were sitting down, uh, Pastor Giselle, some of the leadership for Jesus Fest, sitting down and just uh, um, going through the things that went on last year and also uh, praying to God and, you know, um, Pastor Giselle is thinking about what's going to happen for this year. And he was sharing with us what he wants to see, his vision, and uh, he was just looking for a theme. And uh, I've been uh, meditating and thinking about this, this this idea of cross culture. So I just mentioned that to him, and he liked the idea, and you know, thus it became uh, Jesus Festival 2017 Cross Culture. But we would be remiss if we don't share with you, as your pastors, what it means to have and carry this cross culture. This culture that emanates, that, that originates from the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean? Because whether we know it or not, culture is something that happens. It is inevitable that people will be exposed to some culture or the other. Everybody is exposed to some culture or the other. You can be In the same village with a group of neighbors or whatever, but, and you can have a culture in your village, but each home has a culture. The Philippines, as a nation, we have a culture, but each province, each area, they have, they celebrate and they practice somewhat of a different culture. So, culture is, in a sense, one sense, almost inescapable. But we need to understand that there's a culture that rules over all these things. And there is a kingdom that rules over all these things. And there is a king that rules over all these things. What is culture? Culture is a way of life for a group of people. It's a way of life. The behaviors, the beliefs, the values, the symbols that they accept and they accept it generally, even without thinking. Now, if I ask you, how often do you think about culture? Do you wake up in the morning and go, "My culture"? No, it's probably um, you know some of the things maybe you were exposed to the idea of culture back in school. Um, what the, do you remember? Any anybody remember what CCP means? CCP, the Cultural Center of the Philippines, because. Back in the day, the 70s or whatever, uh, the president, the the first lady wanted to celebrate the culture of this nation. Wanted to highlight the culture of the nation. And so it's something that people want. People have an idea of it, but they're not aware of it 24-7, but it happens. And so it says here in this description here, it's, it's something that people accept but generally without thinking about them. And they are passed from one generation to the next by communication and imitation. So culture, like for example, who among you were in school and you talked about what are, the certain, what are certain things that we believe as Filipinos? Pamahi in or the, the uh, superstitious beliefs. Have, do you remember uh, these are some of the things that you talked about in school? right and you had to write a report or whatever that you pass on and you share with your classmates these are some of the things that i understand that we believe and some people you know your the uh, the pure previous generation just said these are the things that don't do this or don't do that or this is what you do instead if there's a cat that passes by it's black you do something do you remember these things some of the cultural stuff that we practice without even thinking why do we respond to p- as Filipinos and if they don't respond to pst, there's a last name Toy. there's a reason why suddenly this becomes excuse me it's not enough to just say it there's an action attached to it there's a reason why somehow it's instinctive that we invite people for food you know let's kain tayo without really thinking or meaning it sometimes you just so if you see a stranger, whether it's a security guard or somebody, have you ever done that before? You don't even know if you really want them to eat your food. There's a reason why when you're a group of people, you're eating, there's always the last piece that stays behind. Everybody wants it, but nobody gets it. And when somebody gets it, somehow you feel bad. Not that you feel bad they got it, you feel bad because you didn't get it. But you want it to be... So there are certain things. That's culture. Who among you, you have family that's living outside the country? Some of you are not sure. I have family. Is it true that even if they're, even, even though that they're not in the country, there are certain things that they practice. They still eat the same thing. They eat adobo. They eat uh, uh, sinigang. kare kare. Right? Some of the things that we eat, other nations would go, "Why do you eat that?" And sometimes you're looking for, uh, you're looking for the local products that we have. You know, you go to a, suddenly you find the, uh, in another nation, you find the Filipino store. Yes, there's bagoong. Yes, there's patis, datung puti. You're looking for the local products. Because something has been uh, uh, ingrained in you and it is expressed in culture. Culture is a powerful force, actually. It can be a unifying force that brings people somehow together. It begins to identify a group of people. Everyone, wherever you go, there's a culture that people practice and uh, uh i was sharing this uh, last night about god god would use whatever is available here in this realm to help move the kingdom further and to fulfill his promises it's very interesting god will use he's not limited to but he Uh, but he chooses to use what he created to further his purpose. Like, for example, um, it's his purpose to preserve the kingdom of Israel. I'm speaking specifically about the Hebrews, the Jews. Now, is it true that if you migrate to other nations, Right You have certain beliefs and certain things that you miss in your nation. you still practice even though you're outside the country, right? Okay, we are familiar with that. maybe we have families or uh, you've experienced that to a certain degree. Now, as you go, the second generation, you pass it on by maybe you know you share with them, but somehow they you have a mix of their culture, the culture of the the place that they're living in and the culture that you're still prying, trying to pass on to them. But you go further, maybe fourth, fifth generation, that it's very possible that your original culture is somehow very watered down or maybe even totally disappears. Is this true? So if by the sixth, eighth, tenth generation, it's just a memory, but it's not, it's not practice, Right? The nation of Israel is very interesting because for thousands of years, they didn't have a nation. It's like suddenly the Filipinos, it, just imagine if the Filipinos were suddenly left without a nation. Maybe the, the land would still be here, but it'll be occupied by a temper, uh, completely different people. And every Filipino is dispersed everywhere. Well, right now you'd actually see Filipinos everywhere whether it's the hottest nation, whether it's in the desert or the coldest places on earth. You see Filipinos, huy, kababayan, right? And somebody said a minister was, uh, uh, a minister came actually in New Life, Alabang, and she was sharing that she's been to many, many nations. And one of the things that she, that uh, became prominent in her uh, you know visit is that wherever she goes, there's always a Filipino. And she said, we may not be a world power, but we're a world presence. Right? That's, that's very interesting. We're always, we're serving wherever we go. And so now imagine suddenly, what if the nation of the Philippines ceases to exist? And that's exactly what happened to the Jews. They got dispersed all over the place. Now what happens to one culture when they don't have this local area where they can practice their culture. It can easily be dissolved and fused by and swallowed up by other cultures and suddenly what you used to practice and believe and hold dear becomes just a written memory of generations past. But what was interesting with the way God worked with them is that because of the practices that they had, they held on to the practices and the culture and the beliefs and the language that they had, they were, uh, they were dispersed all over the place, but something held them together. We read, the, the, we read in the scripture that the Pharisees were so strict with their beliefs. It should be like this, it should be like that. But somehow God used that to preserve the nation of Israel. That even after 2,000 years... When they were dispersed, when the land was finally given back to them, their language returned, their belief returned, all these things returned. That was, in itself, it's miraculous. What held them together was their culture. Uh, you know, we were, we were in theater before we became full-time ministers. And m- my first big musical that I, I joined is the f- is the play called Fiddler on the Roof. Who among you've seen the movie or seen the play Fiddler on the Roof? There you go, those who are cultured. <laughs> Very beautiful play. In one way, it's funny but also sad. But the first song that they sing, Fiddler on the Roof, not in the Roof. Yesterday, I was sharing Fiddler in the Roof. That's part two. Where they were hiding inside the roof. <coughs> now that's, but fill the first song that they sing is called Tradition. Tradition, tradition. Because everything that they do, they go back to what does tradition say? What does their culture say? So in a sense, that kept them united despite, despite the fact that they're dispersed all over the place. Culture is a powerful force. Now, we get to another example, a quick one. Who among you remember Alexander the Great? Anybody in school? Alexander the Great. Great military leader. Unfortunately, he died very young, 32 years old. But despite the fact that he was young, he was able to conquer a huge, huge area of of land. All the way from Greece to India. Certain parts of India. That's a huge part and to think that they were only using horses and oh you know they didn't have the technology that we have today no planes nothing they were able to conquer that but there's something that that alexander that's the reason why he's called the great because he's a that's not his last name just you know just making it clear so he had this idea because prior to what he did What nations would do, very powerful nations would do, is that they would swallow up a nation, destroy that area, and get some prisoners, disperse everyone else, and bring the captured people back into their land. Prime example is what happened to Daniel. Daniel, his people, was conquered by the Babylons. And the king of Babylon, uh, you know... Destroyed the temple and everything and got the people and brought them to Babylon to train them in his culture. Eat their food, serve their gods, do this and do that so that they will become and stay in Babylon. But Alexander had something different in mind. He said, what if we export how we think, what we believe, how we worship, and all these things. He basically used four things. He used worship. He used the arts, theater. Right? He used the sports, gymnasium. And he used the school, the academy. And in this way, he used all these, you can say, pillars of society to be a carrier so he can train their people the way they think. And so now... By the time the Romans came, a huge part of the world, the civilized world, were speaking, thinking like Greeks. Have you ever heard in the scripture, the Hellenists? Right? Have you ever wondered what they are? These are not people from hell, by the way. (laughs) I just wanted to be clear. Hellenists are Greek-speaking people. Greek-speaking Jews. They're Jews, but they speak the Greek language. And so by the time the Romans came, they improved on what the Greeks did. They improved on what Alexander did. They added infrastructure, really good roads, and all roads lead to Rome. That's what they say. And they would send teachers and engineers to build something so that whatever that place is, it would look like or somewhat resemble what Rome is they let them decide who to worship and all of that but in comes this season this era this generation this age that jesus came jesus came the era or generation of the roman empire we'll go to, we'll go to that in a bit so culture is very powerful culture is something that needs to emanate or start from a man. There's, you know, you, every culture, there's no culture that came just because of, you know, people woke up at the same time and started to think the same. It needed to start with somebody. So you have the power, listen, New Life, the fourth. You have the power to actually change the culture of wherever you are. Because culture begins with a person. I'll give you two examples, two kinds of people that carry different kinds of culture. On one hand, you have Saul that became king. And you have David that became king. Before the kings of Israel, the kingdom of Israel was established, God wanted wanted Israel to operate differently compared to the other nations around it. Because all the nations had kings and all these things that uh, make them somewhat similar to one another. But God wanted to rule Israel by judges. Judges are basically like prophets. They're answerable to God. God would give direction and the judges, the prophets will implement, execute whatever God says. That's how God wanted to rule but suddenly the nation of Israel was looking at all these things that are happening in the world. And they said, we want to have a king as well. We want their culture. And God eventually said, you know what? If that's what you want, I'll give you what you want. And so in comes Saul. First Samuel chapter 9. Saul was chosen to be the king. And you know why he was chosen to be king? Because he looked the part He looked like a king. There was a casting call. Well, they didn't really have that casting call. It's just like, you know, when you're looking for somebody who would play the lead role, the hero. And he's tall and he's broad-shouldered, taller than most men. He looked the part. They said, aha, that's our king. Why? He looks kingly. But what was he doing? He was hiding behind somewhere. He didn't want to be king in the first place. But when he tasted what it means, and the power, and all these things attached to being king, he didn't want to let it go. Interesting. He didn't want it in the first place, and then he didn't want to let it go. Because his motivation was different. His culture, his mindset was different. And so now... By Samuel chapter 15, 1 Samuel chapter 15, God rejects him. Did God make a mistake? No. He just wanted to show everyone, if you want somebody to look the part, this is what you get. That's why I reject him. Because he didn't have the heart. He actually got the kingship, he actually got the, the anointing to be king, without going through any process. On the other hand, first Samuel chapter 16, 15, God rejects Saul. 16, God anoints a different person. Samuel goes to this family, the family of Jesse. Jesse had several sons. And Samuel goes and says, I'm here to anoint. God said that one of your sons will be king. Now what would you do if the prophet comes into your house and says one of your children will become king? the new ruler of Israel. Would you be happy about that? Maybe not. Maybe I'm preaching to a different church. Right? Would you be in... What, what kind of reaction? What, what, what emotional reaction? Would you be excited? Would you be... In, would you call everybody? Right? So Jesse calls his sons and brings to him somebody who looked the part. The first son, Eliab, probably looked the part, you know, had the same charisma, aura, like, uh, you know, Saul. He looks the part. Maybe it's him. His brothers would go, yeah, it's probably him. But all the way down, God said something different. In fact, can you go to chapter uh, 16, verse 7? It says here, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature. Do not, do not look at his qualification. Do not look at where he graduated. Do not look at all these things. All these things are not bad. But they're not the final authority on who would become anointed the next leader. Because the world is looking for somebody who's qualified. God is just looking for somebody who's willing and He qualifies them. Don't look at His appearance or His physical stature because I have refused Him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Now here's an interesting thing. When Jesse called all the other sons, he, he did not call or maybe forgot that he had another son. That's why Saul said, is this all you have? As Samuel said, is this all you have? And they go, well, it looks like, yeah, is it? Oh! <laughs> yeah, there was David. But if Eliab didn't pass, maybe they And Samuel said, we'll call him in. The one who was forgotten by even his family, God said, You may not have a family that cares for you or loves you, but this father would. And so David is raised, anointed. Now here's the thing. Have you ever had disagreements with your older siblings? Have you experienced that? Or not even older, but siblings, right? Have you ever experienced having disagreements maybe very light disagreements because you're all very Christians at home. (laughs) Right? Okay, now, imagine you're the youngest and you're bullied. Okay? Some of you, you're not imagining. This is like, you still have issues, right? (laughs) It's like, remember it. Okay. Now, David just got anointed as the next king. Now, for some people, that will give them now the right to say, ha, guess who's anointed now? I'm not going back to where the sheep are. I'm staying at home. Get me water. Fix my bed. Fold. Ah! I'm the next king. If you want favor from me, you follow what I say. Right? But David had a different heart. He had a different culture that was bubbling up inside of him. It was different. Right after he got anointed king, he goes back out. When his father needed him to send food to his brothers, goes back in. Yes, dad, going back. But he didn't know one day there will be an opportunity for him and for God to display what he's been doing in him in a public setting. The next chapter, chapter 16. uh, The next chapter is 17. 17. Right? Is the encounter with Goliath. And at this point, you know the story how it ends. David becomes joy. He, he's joyous. He, he, he gets celebrated. But on the other end, Saul was jealous. He became jealous. It, uh, what, what was the culture that was inside of him was being more obvious. David got better and better. Saul got bitter and bitter. He got angrier. In fact, he was oppressed by, a, by a, a, a a spirit. And the only way that will relieve him is that he'll get relieved is when David would play. But he'll get irritated and would try to kill David. Very interesting. So at, at a point, people around Saul started to see this. And they're also seeing David. There's something different. Even the son of Saul have a, had a covenant with David. And David was left, you know, with no choice but to leave the palace. What happened then? He went hiding. In Samuel chapter 22, what happens? He was hiding somewhere and people started to gather. You see, if there's there's something different about you, you will begin to attract people. Jesus came into the scene and people didn't expect that the king would come in this manner. They were expecting something else, and Jesus started to attract a different kind of people. It's not the kings and the governors and the high priests and all the lawyers and Pharisees. He didn't attract those people, but he attracted those who were not qualified. What did David start? who, who, uh, who did David attract going to him? First Samuel chapter 22 verse two, listen and everyone who was in distress everyone who was in debt everyone who was discontented gathered to him now if you're going to have if you're going to create an army who would you choose you'd choose the best the strongest the fastest the loyal ones the ones who will not uh, have mutiny the ones who right the ones that look the part but guess who gathered to him the people who have a different kind of culture but he was not moved by their culture because there was something different inside of him. What happened instead these people, all these people, the ones who were in debt, distressed, uh, discontented, uh, discouraged, uh, depressed, all these people started gathering towards him. But what was in him was then passed on to all these people. That later on, in Second Samuel chapter 28, they became like the mighty men of David. The same people that were almost giving up because they were exposed to a man carrying a different culture. You know, Jesus was carrying a different culture. The culture says, if if you're clean, don't touch the unclean because you will be unclean. But with Jesus, it was different. He was willing to touch the unclean so that the unclean will get hawa. Will get affected, infected by what is right with him. A different kind of culture. By this time, the nation of Israel was bubbling with anticipation. Because they were conquered by Rome. And they haven't ruled their own nation for the longest time. For a really long time. And it was about this time that the Messiah would come up, would show up. So people were like, is He coming? In fact, if you go to a bit of history, there are several people that proclaimed themselves, I'm the next Messiah. But because that was man's appointment, not God's appointment, it all failed. Even after Jesus. Again and again, there's this, but somehow people knew he's coming. He's coming. I don't know if you remember the movie uh, Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe. Aslan is on the move. And there's anticipation with all the animals and humans. Who's this Aslan? Oh, he's coming again. Winter will be over soon. Spring will come. Aslan is on the move. The Lion of Judah. The Messiah is coming. Now it's very interesting Because we start out with a backdrop of culture that was created by Alexander the Great and the Roman culture that that adapted the Greek culture. Now, there's something we need to understand about how God works to a certain degree. Because God will work through man. What is right with man and what is wrong with man, it doesn't matter because He would still use all of that. He works through human history. That's why the Bible is actually a a collection of different books written by 40 authors in a span of 1,500 years of human history, a particular history of the Jews. Which is very interesting. Because now, God... The reason why I say God works through man's history is because God has promised to work with man. And you see that from the dawn of uh, mankind, which is Adam. He gave, the, he, gave the, he gave the authority to Adam. Is this true? That Adam will rule now. He has... Uh, who among you uh, live in a house that you rent? Anybody? You're renting a house. Now, is this true? That you have the right to live in that place. You have the right... Okay, but there's an owner of the house, right? But can the owner, since you're the one occupying the space, can the owner just go in anytime, go to your refrigerator, sleep in your bed, wear your clothes? Can you do that? No. Even though they're the rightful owner of the place, because there's an agreement between you and him, there's a privacy, there's a, there's a boundary that was set that the owner needs to respect. Is this true? Now, in the same way, God released the authority for man to do the same on the earth. That although He created everything because He delegated this authority to man, there's something that He will not violate. He says, I, I will not cross that line. Because even if man was, was faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So now... God works through partnership with man for whatever it is that He wants to do on the earth. That's why Jesus had to come as a man because God needs to work with a man according to His commandment. Now listen. Why why is it that God was able to send His Son to die for for all of us? He was able to sacrifice His Son because there is a man that was willing to sacrifice His Son That was Abraham willing to sacrifice Isaac. Why why is it that God, actually if you read Amos chapter 3 verse 7, you don't have to go there. That the sovereign Lord does not do anything unless He tells His servants, the prophets. He does not do anything unless He works with people. He will work with you. Time and time again. He would work with a, with a prophet, say, I want you to do this. And the prophet will display it, will enact what he said. Because God wants to display something in the natural. So we can have an idea of what's happening in the spiritual. Why is it that God, you have David. David has a different culture. And he had a heart for the house of God. And so because he had that heart for the house of God, God honored his heart and gave him the right to raise the house of David and establish it forever. There was something that needed to happen in this realm so that people have an example. Jesus, every time he would talk about the kingdom of God, he would say, the kingdom of God is like The kingdom of God is like this. And His example is always natural things. Is this true? He would talk about seed. He would talk about a pearl. He would talk about a coin that's lost. He would talk about a shepherd. He would always look for something that people understood in the natural so that people can have a, a grasp or an idea, an inkling of what the kingdom of heaven was like. So Jesus came at an appointed time. The Bible says, in the fullness of time, He came. What was the prevailing culture? What was happening? Listen to this. The Roman Empire had this idea of not bringing people to Rome and them becoming their slaves. But He would make that area A local area that the kingdom of Rome can can operate in like Rome itself. Now, Jesus... Jesus was born at a perfect time. And when John was preaching... Remember John the Baptist? He was preaching. Is it okay if I go down? Don't be scared. I might ask you something and I'll give you the mic. John was preaching... He was in the desert. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so now you have people anticipating there's this imminent return of the kingdom. And people were like, who's the next king? Who's the next Messiah? Who's?" And then John, who's a respected prophet, people were coming from all over the place. Even kings were interested in what he had to say. And he came in, and he was in the wilderness, and he said, Repent for the kingdom of God and, and multitudes of people would come. Lawyers, high priests, all these kinds of people would come. And then later in one day, John just goes, there he is, the Lamb of God. That's him. And then people look, go, Wait, he, really? That, that's him? He does not really look the part. That didn't quite connect because they were expecting something different. Even when Jesus rose from the grave and the disciples, the disciples who've been with Jesus for years were looking at Him and were expecting and they asked Him in Acts chapter uh, 1, Lord, are you now going to restore the kingdom? Didn't say kingdom of God, but said kingdom of Israel. Because they were still stuck in their old culture mindset but God came in to reveal, to, to share something different. And then Jesus, when Jesus came, after John was preaching, he said almost the same thing. The kingdom of God is here. That's why when he would teach his disciples, it would be like, there's is prayer. This is how you should pray. You know what it is? Our Father who art in heaven, later on it would say, your kingdom is, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about the kingdom. And as I said, this culture needs to start with a man. And the the most, the prime example, prime carrier of the culture of the kingdom of God was introduced by Jesus himself. What are the things that Jesus did? did to reveal the kingdom. Number one, he declared the kingdom of God. Can you go to Luke chapter 4? Let's look at Luke. Look at Luke. Luke chapter 4, verse 17 to 21. Right? See, and and he was handed the book of the, the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it's written. And this is what he said. He opened the book, and this is what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. This is the gospel of the kingdom of God. And it says, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, verse 19, to proclaim. Jesus came to declare the kingdom of God. To proclaim what? The acceptable year of the Lord. What is one of the main reasons you came is to declare the grace of God. The acceptable year of God. This is not anymore a year where maybe we fail, maybe the goat was not perfect, maybe the goat returned. It's not about that anymore. As because of Jesus Christ, it is the acceptable year of the Lord. I declare 2017 is the acceptable year of the Lord in New Life the Fort. There's something that he declared. He declared the kingdom of God. If you go to verse 20, and he closed the book, gave it back to the attendants, and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. He just read from the scripture and everybody's eyes were like, what? And what he said next was very interesting. Verse 21, and he began to say to them, today, somebody say today. I like the sound of that. Somebody say today. Say it like you believe it today. Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Think about the promise that God gave you. And think about today. The scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He declared something. But it's one thing to declare something, it's another thing to demonstrate something. Cuz I can I can you know, forever declare. To Pastor Mitch, Pastor Mitch, Pastor Mitch, I wake up in the morning, and go, Pastor Mitch. <laughs> I can declare to her my undying love. Right? Yoo-hoo-hoo. We'll pray for you later. I can declare to her. I can. I can speak. I can write it down. I can show it in many different words. I can sing it to you. I. I don't know if she'll appreciate that, but if it's only words words are very powerful, but if it's only words and she'll tell me honey can you can you show me how much you love me I tell you I'll show you pa just read the letters I show you it will bring back the feelings and some people read the some people reread again and again some love letters because of what the feel the feelings that will will stir in them right but if it doesn't have a physical representation it would somehow it will not be complete but Jesus came to complete fulfill the law that's why the Bible says the word became flesh there's the promise and there's a manifestation and Jesus came to do demonstrate the kingdom of God. What did he do? The, the, the scripture says he came to set free the, for, for the poor. They don't, you know, there's a gospel to the poor. What did he say? Verse 18. Um, to preach the gospel to the poor, to, uh, uh, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and to rec- recovery of sight to the blind. What are the things that Jesus did? He provided for people. When they were hungry, that's one way to demonstrate the kingdom of God, right? He healed people wherever he go. The blind, the 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 lame, the uh, the ones who could not hear, the ones who uh, the the leper. He healed people. He raised people from the dead, that displaying that the kingdom is about life, not about death. There's no. Except, I guess, in Nazareth, that there were no great healings that happened there because of their unbelief. But wherever he goes, he was demonstrating the kingdom of God. And one of the greatest demonstrations that people couldn't get is forgiveness and the, the kindness and the goodness of God. He would release forgiveness. And people would go, how dare you? That's blasphemous. Only God can forgive. And then Jesus would go, is it easier for me to say you're healed or you're forgiven? But just to let you know that the Son of Man has power to forgive here on earth. And then He says, He would say, pick up your whatever and then go home. Because the power to heal is also the power to forgive. Because it's it's coming from the same source. God. And the greatest demonstration of this kingdom is when God demonstrated His love. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 would say, but God demonstrates, somebody say demonstrates, demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, people were expecting a golden crown being worn by a a king. They didn't expect a crown of thorns being worn by somebody instead of a throne but a cross. They didn't get that. Something did not connect. But it all made sense when Jesus rose from the grave and finally said, all authority was given to me in heaven and on earth. You see, when Jesus first came, he had all authority in heaven. He didn't quite have all authority on earth because it belonged to somebody else. Remember, God delegated the authority to rent earth (laughs) to somebody. But then Adam, the first occupant, kind of failed in that that whole business and then handed handed the authority to Satan. And Satan now comes to Jesus and tempts him. Remember the temptation? One of the temptations brought Jesus to a high mountain and he showed them all the kingdoms, showed him all the different cultures of the world and said, basically, this is what you want, isn't it? You want all of them to be a part of you. I'm giving it all to you. I'm giving it to you because I have authority. It was given to me. If this is the reason why you came, I don't mind giving it to you. Just one simple little thing. You worship me. I don't need to be worshipped by all of them. I just want you to worship me. Because if the king of kings worshipped Satan, in the end, it's like everybody else worshipping him. But Jesus denied that. And then because of what happened on the cross, the Satan's the enemy was defeated. And Jesus rose victorious on the cross and said, All authority has been given to me from heaven, heaven and on earth. Now go. What did he do? He now, not only that he declared the kingdom of God, the kingdom culture, the cross culture, he did not only demonstrate the kingdom culture, the cross culture, but now he, um, he delegated and dispensed the kingdom of God. He delegated them. He said, now you now become my representative because bodily... I will be elsewhere. But because you now have the delegation, empowerment, the grace to represent me, when wherever you go, it's as if I'm there. Because of what happened on the cross. Among you who have attended a wedding before and uh, maybe the uh, sponsor is not available and they had to use a proxy, right? The proxy is the person who's physically there, but legally, as far as the law is concerned, the name of the person, the actual person who's the Nino or Ninang, is the one written in the document. But physically, he was not there or she was not there. Right? This is what happened to us on the cross. We were not physically there. But Jesus was our proxy. But as far as the records in heaven would say, it's as if you were there. It's one thing to say that Jesus died for you. It's another thing to say, Jesus died as you. And Jesus died as you. And now in the same way, He just Kind of uses the same concept that now you have been appointed by him to now represent this cross culture to the world. As we end here, remember the scripture says that you are a chosen generation, you are a royal priesthood, you are something special in the eyes of the Lord. There's something that He put inside of you. You have different graces. This is empowerment. But more than just the empowerment or the anointing to do, you also have in you the kingdom of God. One time Jesus was asked, and, and Jesus had to correct the people. He said, it's, you have a wrong concept of the kingdom of God. It's, the kingdom of God does not come by observation the kingdom of God is within you. See, the whole purpose of Jesus dying on the cross is not just that you will be in heaven, but that heaven would be in you. That's completely different. That's why He said, your kingdom come, your will be done. Anybody here on earth still? Some of you are somewhere in Pluto right now. But that's the whole idea. It's one thing for one man to disperse the culture of the kingdom, but it's another for him to have all these people represented here and being dispersed to all the different areas in your school, your workplace. You have become an ambassador, the Bible says. Ambassador. Turn to somebody and say, Your Excellency. You know what is an ambassador? Ambassador. An ambassador represents the nation. Is it true? Who among you have met ambassadors before? Raise your hand. There you go. There's some people that met. Isn't it? You can't just go to an ambassador. Hey, what's up? Fist bump. You go to this, you you, you might get tackled down by the guards. Hey, what's up? Because there's a there's a way to approach royalty. There's protocol. You're not just it's, he's more than just a person, the ambassador. He's more than just an individual, common, ordinary person. You're not just a mere man or mere woman. You're more than that. An ambassador represents the nation. The Bible says you are a citizen of heaven. It's very interesting. Now let's think, that for, think about that for a bit. An ambassador usually works in an embassy. Is this true? Now, an embassy, if you go to an embassy, the moment you go through its gates, it's as if you're stepping into the very land of the nation. Is that right? Or they may be in the Philippines, they may be, you know, but as far as the ice of the nation is concerned, it's as if it's their land. Now, think about this. If you're an ambassador and your property is the embassy. It's as if you're, and you're the representative of heaven. Whatever you have, whatever you own, wherever you live, it's as if heaven camped out there. The boundaries, I don't know if outside the boundaries, it's probably still the world. But as far as heaven is concerned, wherever you're staying, wherever you are, you represent heaven. And whatever heaven has, Whatever culture, whatever uh, 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 resources, it's available to you. The angels, the protection, whatever it is, it's available to you because you represent. You are an ambassador of heaven. And we'll end with this because you're an ambassador of, you represent Jesus Himself and His finished work, you carry the cross culture. Jesus said carry your cross. It's another way to think about you carrying the culture of the cross. The Bible says that you that you have now the ability to disperse His aroma. In 2 Corinthians it says there that by the knowledge of Christ we now have this ability to disperse and release the fragrant aroma of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine going around? Try walking around with a with a glade. What, what do you call that? The air freshener. Going around. Just try maybe buy a uh, glade later on. Just walk around the mall with, with a glade. People go. It's, it's kind of weird, but it smells nice. You go to the elevator and go. People go. Just imagine there's something that you release wherever you go. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 that you are the salt of the earth. You release God flavors. Have you ever tried cooking something? Pasora oh, oh, Mitch is the one who cooks in the house. I am designated to eat. It's, somebody has to do the job, right? And you cook something and there's no salt. No matter how good it is, it, there's something off. Right? But when you add salt, all the different flavors come together in this wonderful harmony of flavors. Good job. You are the light of the world. There's a light that emanates from the sun. But it needs a prism. Not a prison. A prism will now receive the light from the sun which is white but when it releases it it releases it in different colors because you are the light of the world that releases god colors so wherever you go as a believer if you have jesus christ you are now an ambassador you carry this cross culture that people need outside let me pray for everybody lord i just thank you lord god for what you have done for us. We can't say we understand everything, how this kingdom works, but we know we have every potential to display whatever we know. I pray that we've been expanded, stretched even today. We can hold our heads up high and understand that I am receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thank you, Lord God, that you give us opportunity To display your goodness and your grace wherever we go. And in every opportunity, you are revealing more and more of who Jesus is in our lives. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you close your eyes and bow your heads? If there's anybody here you've never received Jesus Christ in your life, this is a perfect opportunity. Because He's the one who died for you. If you feel like you're confined or trapped within this culture that's trying to oppress you and keep you down. There's a release to it in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be crushed by your sin and your guilt ever again because Jesus has already forgiven you. It is not by works, but by grace. If you want Jesus in your life, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to count to three and when you hear three, just you know, just raise your hand up in the air and say, Pastor, that's me. I want my life changed. I want a new life. I want a new beginning. I want Jesus. I'm going to count to three. One, know that God loves you. Two, that He sent Jesus to die for you and cleanse you of all your sin. And three, go ahead and raise your hand. If that's you, is there anybody you want to raise your hand right now? Maybe you're also on the fourth floor. Is there anybody? There you go. Praise the Lord. If you're on the fourth floor or you're here, I want you to pray this prayer. If you raise your hand, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. I'm going to ask everyone just to agree with you. Say this with me. Jesus, I come before you and I surrender to you my life. Even now, I receive your kind of life. Eternal life. Life forevermore. Thank you, Lord God. Right now, I am washed clean of all my sins and shame and guilt and can stand before the Father holy and pure. I am a new creation in you. I have new life in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's celebrate those lives. Thank you for listening. For more information, follow us on social media or visit us at newlifethefort.com.